Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, then I'm going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th. 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. You know, sometimes the people who lead their team to the championship is someone who you would expect. I mean, think back. I mean, there's, I mean, the Giants, let's go even some recent years, okay? I mean, the Giants won in 2014. I think we can all point to Madison Bumgarner wasn't that shocking that he was a huge role in it. Ortiz leading the Red Sox to 2013. Um, Tim Lincecum leading the uh, Giants in 2010. Josh Beckett, let's not forget, he was a tremendous pitcher in 2007. You know, there's some names that you would expect to be there along the way. And then there are some interesting ones, some names that maybe you wouldn't expect, like Josh Beckett leading the Marlins as a younger pitcher in uh, 2003, David Fries with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2011, David Eckstein with the Cardinals in 2006. Jermaine Dye with the White Sox in 2005. And while he's not exactly an obscure player, Hideki Matsui's bat in 2009, although the real hero of that postseason was Alex Rodriguez, but we're not allowed to say that. Last year, I think the real superstar who led the Royals to the championship in many ways was Wade Davis. The fact that you handed the ball to Wade Davis... And you, yeah, the, the the game was over. Yeah, I could go to it's a it's an award that not everyone knows rolling off your tongue. But the Babe Ruth Award is the award that is given. Oh, stop this damn pop up ad that appeared on my computer. Babe Ruth Award is the award that's given out to the best postseason performer. And oh. You know what? I've forgotten that Wade Davis actually did win it last year. My bad. I didn't. I that I did not know. Um, and that tells you something: the fact that um, he won that, and I didn't know the answer to that. And it's it's not just for the best performance in the World Series, but it's for the best performance overall, the over the entire postseason. Um, and it almost always coincides with the World Series MVP, but not always. Davis last year is an example. Lincecum in uh, 2010, A-Rod in 2009. Um, you look at some of these names that I'm going to have on here. Um, Papelbon won it in 2007. I did not know that. I would have given it to Josh Beckett. These are things I don't know. Keith Folk won it one year. Um, Kurt Schilling, obviously. Moises Alouf, Cecil Fielder. Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield, really? Huh, I guess. All right. I guess, you know, the guy got five hits in the World Series, and they give him the award. There you go. Um, but you see names like uh, Billy Hatcher, Scott Brocious, um, other names, Rick Dempsey. There's one I was looking for. Names like Bucky Dent, Dick Green, Al Weiss. Ralph Terry, 
Larry Sherry, Don Larson. Let's not forget Don Larson was, what, their number four starter? Dusty Rhodes in 1954 coming off the bench. Why am I bringing some of these names up? Why am I bringing some of these, these things up with these players? Because oftentimes the postseason is turned on a player who is not at the top of your mind when you are thinking about who's going to be the big threat on this team. When you went to the Giants and when they won the World Series in 2012, the year that they beat the Detroit Tigers, they were a team that was filled with a lot of stars and everything like that. And it eventually became Pablo Sandoval who won the Babe Ruth Award. But when I think back at that, you remember who the National League, uh, the NLCS MVP was that year? When the Giants were down three games to one to the defending world champion Cardinals, came back to win the pennant, and then later went on to be one of the offensive heroes in the World Series. Do you remember who that was? It was Marco Scudero, who batted 500 in the NLCS and posted a... Uh, an OPS of 1.140. I guarantee you that if you wrote a short list of people who you thought is going to make the difference in this year's, or in, in 2012's postseason, Scudero wouldn't be high up there. In fact, shortly after he, the, the day before the Giants went on to play the first game of the 2012 World Series, I sat down at my kitchen table in South Pasadena took out a microphone, and began recording a podcast. And I said, you know what, I think I'm going to do this every day. That's going to be my strategy, to do it every day. And I haven't missed. But I digress. The reason I was thinking about this, I did a podcast, maybe may yesterday or the day before, can't remember, forgive me, do a lot of these, where I talked about the Cubs. I talked about the Cubs and how dominant, they've been as they've rampaged to a division title. And I started thinking about who would be the one to undo this team. And you take a look at how deep their pitching staff is, how deep their bullpen is, how deep their lineup is, how good their defense is. They are a team that is seems to have no holes. I think the last time, I, I mean, there was a point in baseball when I saw two teams that seemed to have no holes look like they were on a collision course to the World Series. That was 1988, when the A's and the Mets were the two super teams in baseball. And 100-win teams with deep pitching staffs, great lineups and everything. And they were going to have one of the great World Series showdowns we ever saw. And Who won? The Dodgers. The Dodgers won with a zero lineup and one great starter and a closer who no one could rely on. Things like this happen in baseball. And a lot of times, it's someone who you are not expecting to come through, and they come through. I remember when the Mets lost the pennant in 2006 to a vastly inferior St. Louis Cardinal team that just stumbled down the stretch and actually nearly missed the postseason after having a big lead. And as they stumbled into the into the postseason, 
you know, they went in, they faced a Mets team. The Mets had won 97 games, 14 more than the Cardinals. And the players who upended the Mets that year were Yadier Molina, who that year didn't hit a lick, and Jeff Supon, who was the definition of a mediocre pitcher. And the two of them took down the Mets in Game 7. Now, if the Cubs are to be beaten, if the Cubs are to be denied their first pennant since 1945, I have no idea. The American League, I'm not even going to bring them up because I have no clue what's going to happen in the American League. I have no clue who's going to win the pennant. I think every team is, that's going to make the postseason is evenly matched, and it's just going to be to chance. Who happens to have the best couple of weeks for that particular few weeks? Because it is nothing resembles a, a favorite in the American League. So i got to focus on the National League. I, the Giants may not even make it. The Dodgers are pulling away in the West only because the Giants can't get out of their own way. Um, the Cardinals always cut and paste a team together, and they'll be fine, but I don't see them going far. The Mets are, I don't even, I don't think the Mets know who's on the Mets anymore. If there's any realistic, short of a huge upset like the Cardinals in 2006, or Los Angeles in 1988, or the Cardinals in 2011. Jeez, the Cardinals keep doing this, don't they? Maybe we should be afraid of them. The team that is realistically the most likely to pick off the Cubs are the Nationals. I don't think I'm saying anything out of the ordinary by saying that. I think that's a pretty straightforward sentence to say. And despite not, no one knows what Steven Strasburg's situation is going to be. At one point, Strasburg looked like he was going to be the uh, de facto Cy Young Award winner after he was pitching wonderfully and Clayton Kershaw went down to injury. But now we're not even sure if Strasburg is going to be back for the postseason. And again, uh, broken record time, sitting him down in 2012, will be looming over the team until they finally win a World Series. Dude, where's my ring? But let's not count out two interesting factors here. Max Scherzer probably will win the Cy Young Award. Now, he's a much higher ERA than Hendricks of the Cubs. But he's pitched more innings and he's got more strikeouts and you know, if you take a look at a lot of the advanced metrics, they seem to all favor Scherzer in one way or another. But Tanner Roark, don't look away from him. He is a terrific pitcher, having a terrific year. Mark Melanson seems to have fit in nicely, replacing Jonathan Papelbon, and maybe getting Jonathan Papelbon is like lancing a boil. Bryce Harper's not having the great season, but he's more than capable of having a great few weeks. And the team has a lot of pop. The team has a lot of power. They don't have the 40 home run hitter, but they just are up and down the lineup. Solid 
with power, and even someone like Espinoza is not hitting for a high average, he's got pop. Ramos has had a great season, he's got pop. Daniel Murphy is a potential MVP, he's got pop. Anthony Rendon having a terrific season, he's got pop. Jason Worth, they can all hit. Everyone can hit on this team. Trey Turner can hit. Everyone has a bat and is swinging it well. And in many ways, this is a sentence that's going to sound bizarre, but I beg you to hear me out. In many ways, from where I'm sitting right now, one of the key figures of October, where things can swing this way or maybe to that, is, drumroll please, Gio Gonzalez. What? Gio Gonzalez? Yeah. Gio Gonzalez is a critical figure in this upcoming postseason. 30-year-old left-hander who a few years ago had a spectacular season. This year has been okay. It's not been great. He's been up and down. There have been some days he has been spectacular. You know, he pitched two really good games against the Phillies recently and was clobbered by the Braves recently. There are some games he gets absolutely slammed, and there are some days where he looks like he is the dominant pitcher again. Some days he goes seven innings and looks terrific, and other days he lets up six runs and three innings and looks like he should be designated for assignment. The man whose ERA was... In the ones in mid-eight and mid-May, became in the high fours by early July, and is now nestled around the mid-fours for a while. Sometimes pitches great, sometimes doesn't. One of the reasons why I think he's such an important figure in this year's postseason is because of what I said up front. Let's say there's a series between the Cubs and the Nationals. Let's say it comes down to that. From where I'm sitting, it looks like that's the case. Of course, anything can happen in the postseason, as I just listed. As those teams, many teams that go 3-0 and are quickly forgotten, no matter how wonderful they were in the regular season. But I think all things being considered, I think the Cubs would dispatch of the Giants, Cardinals, or Mets. And I think the Nationals are better than the Dodgers. And if that's the case, then we'll see a matchup between Chicago and Washington. Arietta, Lester, uh, Hendricks, I believe Lackey is going to be healthy for the postseason. You have Tanner Roark, Max Scherzer. You don't have Steven Strasburg. Um, and if you do, you have him for a minute. If Strasburg was healthy and pitching the way he was doing for the first half of the season, I'd say... Uh, win all the games you want, Cubs. I think the Nationals are the better team. But without Steven Strasburg, that puts everything square on Gio Gonzalez. Gio Gonzalez could be the proverbial fulcrum where things turn, where things swing, where things move. Gio Gonzalez could be a big factor 
in October. A sentence you probably didn't expect to come out of my mouth unless you read the title of this episode. And whoever reads the title of podcast episodes. I don't want to say you're always a 500 pitcher because who gives a crap about a pitcher's record? Seriously, it, it, it tells you nothing. You could pitch a beautiful game and lose. You could get trounced and win. But you look at his numbers and say, man, the, the ERA kind of fluctuates. He's in the mid-fours. But what if you get into that proverbial series and a Arietta Scherzer matchup is there and Roark Lester matchup is there and you want or whatever combination it is, you might have having like Hendricks versus Gonzalez. And it's the difference between being down two one or being up two one. Down two one, handing the ball to Scherzer, asking him to save the series. Up to one, winning the game and handing it to Scherzer, hoping to put the series away. That's a big difference. And you will see that postseasons turn often with pitchers you're not expecting to be a big factor being a huge factor. Not your number one starter, you hand the ball to him. Not to keep going back to the 2011 Giants, but their entire season hinged on handing it to Barry Zito in the league championship series and seeing him come through. Seeing it come through. Last year in the ALCS between Kansas City and Toronto, you know, you got to see, uh, you know, Marco Estrada pulling the... uh, uh, pushing the series one more game, but it was Jordano Ventura who pitched well and held his own against David Price. You know, it was, you know, almost every year you see someone who you're not expecting. I mean, last year you had, you know, the the Mets were constantly handing the ball to young pitchers and asking them to hold their own against superstars like Lester, like Jake Arrieta, people who they wrote in pen that they were going to win those proverbial games. Jacob deGrom beat Clayton Kershaw and Zach Grinke in the same series. It's not always the pitchers that you expect it's not always, you know, you, the, the, the season's on the line. Who are you going to hand the ball to? In 2004, they handed the ball to, to freaking Derek Lowe. So sometimes you have to hand the ball to someone you're not expecting to come through. And they come through. It would not shock anyone if Scherzer comes through. It wouldn't shock anyone if Tanner Roark comes through. But with no Steven Strasburg, suddenly Gio Gonzalez goes from being, well, you know, he's a good number four starter to, all right, Gio, it's go time. It's absolutely go time. And sometimes that pitcher comes through. Think about all those years where the Braves had Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. And yet, year after year, with the exception of 1995, 
some team defeated them in the postseason. And inevitably, there was some schmuck on the mound who was looking up and going, okay, I guess I'm up against, I guess I'm up against Maddox and coming through. And I'm looking around. Gio Gonzalez could play a huge part in this October. Or he could get bombed and the Cubs cruise to a championship. Just saying that out loud sounds bizarre. So Gio, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you right now. I think you're going to play an interesting role this October. Which role will you play? So check the up-to-date listings of Who Owns Baseball on MLBReports.com. And hey, Chuck Booth, get better, buddy. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, the Gio Gonzalez love fest, but mainly talking about fulcrums. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Did I cut that off soon? I think I did. Let me say that again. Please call me Sully. Can't end it without saying that.